You're listening to The Parting Shot with H. Allen Scott. My favorite movie is Terms of Endearment. Now, I promise you this episode is not about Terms of Endearment, but I do have a reason for bringing it up. So if you aren't familiar with the film, it stars Shirley MacLaine and Deborah Winger as a mother-daughter pair with a volatile relationship. In the end, and spoiler alert, but like the film came out in 1983, so like it's kind of on you at this point, (laughs) but the daughter gets cancer and she dies. The film today is remembered as as a chick flick, an emotional drama, blah, blah, blah. But it's important to remember that it was the first of its kind. It blended comedy and drama and emotion in a way that few films had before it. Anyway... There's a scene in the film where Deborah Winger, playing the daughter, has dinner with some hoity-toity New Yorkers. Afterwards, she confronts her friend who was at that dinner, who isn't sure if it's okay to freely talk about the cancer Deborah's character has. Talk to me. It's not you, Patsy. I don't care. I mean, I don't mind them knowing. In less than two hours, two of them told me that they had had abortions. Three of them told me they were divorced. One of them hasn't talked to her mother in four years. And that one that has her little Natalie in a boarding school because uh, she has to travel for her job. I mean, hell, Patsy. That's our, oh, the one with the yeast disease that the, she had vaginal herpes. That's, if that's fit conversation for lunch, what's so god-awful terrible about my little tumors? Yeah, of course. But what do you want me to do? I want you to tell them it ain't so tragic. People do get better. Tell them it's okay to talk about the cancer. It's okay to talk about the cancer. I mean, that that's a line that I've been quoting since I was a kid. Yes, I've loved this movie since I was a kid. I probably was quoting it without even fully understanding what it meant. Fast forward years later to when I actually got cancer. Then I kind of figured out what it meant. It's okay to talk about the cancer. Honestly, when I got diagnosed, for the first time in my life, I didn't have words to describe what I was feeling. Like, I didn't have words to talk about the cancer. And words are what I do. They're my bread and butter. They're my world. So when someone like me loses the words, it's like your life is over. And that's what getting diagnosed with cancer felt like to me. Fortunately for me, I found my words again, and my background in comedy is the reason why I was able to find my words. I figured out a way to share my story in my own kind of way. And so now, years after my diagnosis, I can look back and put into words the way that I was feeling, you know, that I couldn't before, the way I couldn't describe it when it first happened. But this past year, something happened. Not to me, I'm fine, but to a friend. Back in my 20s, I attended this Improv 101 class in New York City at the People's Improv Theater. And in the class, I met this girl named Grace. She was so fucking funny. And we became comedy friends as we navigated this weird business and art form that we love. Now, while I was trying to find my words during chemo and all that, Grace was blowing up on YouTube. She became this massive YouTube star. And I was so proud of her. Yes, I am talking about the YouTube sensation Grace Helbig. We stayed in touch over the years, and she's part of my, you know, little comedy family out here in Los Angeles. And, you know, we're not best friends, but we we do keep in touch and we talk often. And honestly, talking with her now is just like talking with her back in that shitty improv space where we first met. Which is why when I found out that 
she had breast cancer earlier this year when she announced it on YouTube, I was heartbroken. You see, when you go through something like cancer, the last thing you want is for anyone in your life to have to go through that. I didn't want to have that in common with Grace, you know, but now we do. And that's how life goes. It's bittersweet, but wow, is every day you're gifted incredible. Even the bad days are incredible. And honestly, I feel like for the life that I have, for the opportunity to talk with Grace today, I, I'm i just so grateful because guess what? She's ready to talk about, all together now, the cancer. And it. I'm so glad that she wanted to talk with me about that and about this experience that she went through. So let me just say right now, this chat means so much to me. And you listening to it means so much to me. Cancer is not an easy subject. It's emotional. It's messy. It's funny sometimes, but it's necessary. And today's episode is special, and I'm just so grateful to be able to share this with you. So let's get to it. I'll be right back with my good friend, Grace Helbig. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So, Grace, I, I mean, in, in the intro to this, I told everyone that you and I go crazy long back, but I refuse to yeah. give years because it will age us. So I won't I won't do that. But we go yeah. way back, way, way back <laughs> yeah. to like uh, the baby stages, <gasps> of dipping toes in performance era. We back. were both. I mean, I what were you doing before you took that? Improv <laughs> what was class? I doing? Yes. Period. Yeah. What was I doing? Uh, I think I was in college before I took <laughs> that improv class. I yeah. know. I remember feeling like a baby yeah. uh, in those classes, but the classes were just with filled with such warm people that it was so so wonderful it's so wild to think that that i mean that that all these years later that i mean we're i mean you're killing it you're doing everything but like that we are in the same industry doing the same things doing similar things it's just it really just warms my heart that like the universe brings people together and in the most random of moments and then years later this happens you know yeah and then we're brought back together by (sighs) the craziest of circumstances well and now i mean (laughs) the worst circumstances that we both now have a cancer story so (laughs) yeah what fun we have so much in common grace (laughs) yes 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 (laughs) so i want to start off by one of the things that i also shared in my intro is that you know every every time that cancer hits you when the moment hits you the day it hits you we all have that sort of first day story when you're told these are the things. And yeah. and I shared a little bit of mine in my intro, but I wanted to know what is your day of cancer story, you know? 
Yeah, like the day I got diagnosed yeah. or yeah, well, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. I um felt a lump, you know, uh, the the precursor. It felt a lump. Um brought it up to my gynecologist. She referred me to a surgical doctor. Surgical doctor referred me to get a biopsy and mammogram. And um then we were waiting for the biopsy mm. results. And my husband <laughs> Uh, because it was so nerve-wracking of a day, uh, he decided to schedule a meeting with a landscaper because we were considering doing some landscaping at our house, and he thought, maybe I'll set up this meeting. It'll distract us during the daytime, <laughs> yeah. and then we'll just go to the doctor's office after and not be sitting around like twiddling our thumbs, worried yeah. all day. So this <laughs> guy shows up at our house and does an entire um, like walk around of our house. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile... Um, I'm with Cedars Sinai, so I have a Cedars app now on my phone. Never really paid much attention to it in the past when I've gone to the hospital for other like digestive issue things. But that day I got the alert that my test results were uploaded to the app. And it had never occurred to me until that day. Like I had seen uh, prior test results, but never thought of like looking at it. I thought this is just for the doctors. I'm not supposed to look at that. These are big words. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so that day I, as we're walking around with this guy and I am not paying attention at all to what Mm -hmm. he's suggesting we do for this tree and this bush. I was like, I'm going to look at those as soon as this is over this appointment, I'm going to look at the results because I'm a control freak and I want to be able to manage my emotions in the doctor's office for better or worse. And so uh, Elliot goes to say goodbye to this guy after the appointment's over. I rush into my office because I didn't even tell Elliot that I was going to go look at them or that they were available. I sit at my desk and I open up the results. It's in a bunch of medical language that Mm -hmm. I'm not familiar with. So I'm copy paste Google. What does this mean? Yeah. And then I find out, like, pretty sure, like, now I'm 95% sure that it's breast cancer. Uh, I'm not 100% because still the the jargon is a little unfamiliar, even with how Google is telling me what it's supposed to mean. The guy, uh, landscaper guy, Elliot comes in. Before I can even tell him, he goes, so the guy's truck stalled out in our driveway. And (laughs) this guy and his wife, who apparently his wife was sitting in this truck that we didn't know about the entire time, the hour that we were going around the house. So I'm going, Elliot's like running back and forth, calling like AAA. I'm not telling him that I know anything yet. So I'm just like, okay, okay. Our driveway is very steep. And so AAA comes, they can't get up our driveway. So we have to call a different guy. This guy's trying to call his friends to come and pick him up. This takes like another hour that I'm just sitting in this like complete surreality and trying to help. And then finally, finally, this guy gets his truck and is able to take it out of the driveway. Yeah. And we're like now 15 minutes. We have to get in the car and go to the doctor's office. And I'm like, Elliot, I need you to sit down. And he sits down and I'm, I tell him that I saw the results. Mm-hmm. I Googled it and it's breast cancer. And literally as I'm telling him that, a coyote then runs through our driveway. And it's like the most symbolically weird. L.A. thing, uh, too. Right. Very Los Angeles, like broad daylight. And he like sees the coyote and starts, we both start banging on the windows to get the coyote away as we're both like crying now that like this is happening. So we have a moment and we kind of like gather ourselves and we like cry uh, a bunch and 
then we drive over to the doctor's office and she comes in and before she says anything, I'm just like, I know, I saw. And she was like, oh, okay. Like a wow. kind of, yeah, nervousness, kind of a relief was washed over her. Yeah. Um, and then she just went into telling us everything that we need to do and the oncologist that we need to reach out to. And I remember, thank God Elliot was there because he was like taking all the notes because I was like yeah. looking at her, but like it was that want, want, want sound totally. coming out of her mouth and just being like do and just trying to hold it together in mm-hmm. that room because even <laughs> this is like <laughs> my own people pleasing anxiety was still present of being like I, well i don't want her to be uncomfortable if i yeah. am a mess <laughs> in this doctor's office <laughs> so i'm gonna keep it together so that i don't make this uncomfortable for both of us did you lose that eventually the people pleasing yes. thing okay good yeah a little bit. It's yeah. a, I like everything. A big work in progress. But yeah, yeah that was um, that was the bizarro day, and it was also just like a very overcast day in LA. Yeah. So like the mood was just very somber all mm-hmm. around, and very just like oh, like the universe almost was like get ready. It's going to be a fever dream. You yeah. think that stuff was weird that just happened and that coyote that <laughs> ran down the driveway? <laughs> it's about to get weirder. Yeah. It felt it's like so, a, yeah. So relatable too, because like, I mean, I, we exactly probably the same office building that, that the same yeah, medical building. So I went to the place there in Beverly Hills and I, mm-hmm. because I'm a, a cheap person, I decided to park at the um, Beverly center to save some money other than parking yes. at Cedars. Cause it was more expensive. Yes. And so so <laughs> you're about to endeavor into a lot of medical expenses. Save money. Where I had you no, can. Well, see, I had no idea going into it. I just went to the doctor. So I just parked at, at the, cause I mean, I did, I had a different thing where yeah. it was like immediate. Like there was no, like I, there was no waiting period for me. Like I had to wow. go, like it was 24 hours. And uh, and I parked at the Beverly Center. I walked over to Cedars. I got all the news, and it was and I was sort of just in this like like fog, like you like you yes. were saying, like this fog. And yeah. I knew I knew I needed to eat, so I went to Fat Burger <laughs> there on the corner in that little mini strip that the you yeah. know that they have there, uh, a little small thing. And then I walked uh-huh. across the street and I went to Target, and I just walked around Target for what yeah. I thought was like twenty minutes. But yeah. then when I rem- I remember I got back to my car and I looked at my phone and I had like a shit ton of messages from people. Like I was yeah. there for like hours just walking, really? just walking around Target. I don't know what wow. I was doing. I was in a daze. I know. I know yeah. why I went. I went because they told me because I had just moved to Los Angeles. So I didn't have a lot of like my clothes here. And yeah, and or I didn't have a lot of my stuff here. And they told me I needed comfortable clothes for post-surgery and I didn't have any. Like I didn't have wow. any like sweats or anything. So I had yeah. to go to Target to buy my cancer clothes, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and, and it was like, it was like the most, like I was doing the practical thing by eating and shopping. Yes. But I also had no recollection of anything that I was doing at all. Like my it was God. such a strange, but you do get into that foggy sort yeah. of like, you know, everything's changing, but you can't quite process it. But yet in the moment, in the day, you know, this is a pivotal shift in my life. This is a moment. You feel it. Absolutely. And I have no family members. I have no experience in the world of cancer at all. And that was the most immediate confrontation was the existence of this like invisible universe Mm -hmm. of people who have cancer or know people with cancer or the medical world that is uh, treating cancer that's existing like parallel to the life that I was living at this time. It felt like this like 
magic door just opened up and was yeah. like, hello, you're going to exit and you're, you're going to be in this world over here while this world that you're used to continues to go on. Yes. And this world has been existing over here the whole time. You just had no need to know that it was there. Yep. And so yep. I felt very overwhelmed by my inexperience. I felt very insecure about not even knowing how to make mm -hmm. sense of any of it mm -hmm. um, and very just sort of disoriented. Yeah. Like e same kind of Target story. The yeah. next day we have a Target really close to where we live and I just went up there to run an errand, like get groceries. And I was just walking around in the store thinking, I have breast cancer. Am I allowed to just like be walking yes. around? This yes. is crazy and no yes. one knows. No one knows. <laughs> and that's the, the other thing too is that like, I mean, it's, I guess, I don't know if it's selfish or what it is. I'm sure there's like a, 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 a therapist would have an explanation for it. But mm. you do have this feeling of like, there is something massive happening to me. Why doesn't everyone else come up and say they're sorry? Why doesn't everyone come up and acknowledge that I'm going through something? But they're yeah. living their life. They don't know anything. And yet yeah. I feel like it's so apparent. But yet I remember I got pulled over once. This was after chemo, but it was like my first sort of oncologist visit post chemo. Mm -hmm. And I had some sort of lump in one of the results or whatever. So they got scared about that. And I got pulled over by a cop. And I remember like just telling the cop everything. And the cop was like, you probably shouldn't be driving. And I was like, <laughs> I can drive. I've done this. I know. Like I just became so like angry. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that gets yeah. me to that. The, what you said before the people pleasing thing. I mean, I definitely, I know you're not a mid, you're not Midwesterner, right? No, you're from New Jersey originally. Yeah. East coast. Yeah. And I, I, so I'm a Midwesterner. And so I do have that people pleasing mm -hmm. thing. And I definitely, one of the things that I always say after the whole, looking back on the whole chemo experience for me is the best thing that came out of it is I was able to start saying no to things and not yeah. being available all of the time to make people feel comfortable. You know what I mean? Yes. A hundred percent. I, it was, it is like, cause I'm in the radiation portion of it. So I'm still and like I go to therapy very often, yes. thankfully, was yes. doing that pre all of this and oh, have continued so to lucky. do it during. Really incredibly helpful to process the complexity of everything happening all the time to yeah. you. Um, but I felt very, um, I, it was, <sighs> this is my chemo brain going, where are you going with this, Helbig? <laughs> <laughs> Very relatable as well. It's totally yes. fine. We're all in this yes. together. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, I felt like I, oh, I I have changed. And uh, this is not necessarily intentional. This is out of necessity. Mm -hmm. The prioritization of my health, my yeah. well-being. You know, we talk about self-care. We throw all this around like in pop psychology and all of this stuff. Yeah. And uh, even before this, I was trying to like get back to uh, or start trying to figure out how to take care of myself in like a meaningful way mm -hmm. and what have never really known how to do that didn't have a lot of like role models growing up that showed me what it looks like to take care of yourself yeah um, and especially your body i've always had like a very yeah. mind body kind of disconnect that i was kind of working on a little bit before this happened and when this happened all of like the stress of people pleasing, similar mm -hmm. to what you're saying, kind of went out the door and I knew like I am my own priority. Like yeah. I am the only thing I need to work on right now. I am the only project I need to be working on. And 
it was kind of amazing that I'm like, oh, is this what people who really take care of themselves yeah. think like on a regular basis? <laughs> like I'm doing this because it's truly like life or death, but yeah. like, wow, this makes a huge difference yeah. to be like, I'm number one mm-hmm. and then everything else is after. Yeah. Um, and to not feel selfish about that, to feel like I, I have to. And then also the byproduct of that is that like, yeah, it feels good to take I'm care of so yourself. I'm so glad you, A, had therapy going into this, but B, decided to go through therapy during it, actively mm-hmm. during it, because I had the complete opposite experience in that really? I was not going to therapy before chemo. And then during chemo, I was so overwhelmed by my, my schedule of chemo because my schedule of chemo was very intense. It was like six hours a day for like periods mm-hmm. of a week. And then you had to stop and then you come back for a week. So it was like a, it was like a job wow. in a way. Yeah. And, um, and so I was so overwhelmed with the schedule of chemo that I was just like, I can't, I don't have time for therapy. And, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't do it. I just didn't do it. And I had a moment and I know after, since now speaking with other people who've gone through chemo and have had cancer, I've had, they've had similar stories, but like, I had a story. I was leaving Arclight one day uh, and mm. I couldn't find my car. This was, this was maybe a month after chemo and I couldn't after chemo ended and I couldn't find my car. And I the anxiety in me of not being able to find my car became so overwhelming that then I, I went blind. I like had a wow. panic attack where I couldn't see and I just stopped right there. I just literally stopped wow. right there and was just sort of stuck for a bit. Of course, then someone helped and then they called a friend and then everything got worked out. And then yeah. I started to go into therapy and I started to have to deal with the emotions that sometimes pop up in you when in moments that you don't expect in the simple yeah. of moments. I mean, even for me, even now, there's there's soap in this one restaurant that we go to, just like me and my boyfriend will go to it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And they, it's the same smelling soap that they used at the Beverly Center, Beverly Hills Chemo Center. Yeah. And it yeah. triggers me every single time. And I get emotional yeah. or getting anxious about it. And yeah. I, you must have those, too, that those triggers that come out of nowhere. Yeah. I, and I'm seeing it more and more like the further out I, my chemo just finished at the end of last year. And then I had my surgery and then we found out that my body thankfully had a complete response to chemo. So now I'm in, thank God. Yeah, Yeah. I'm in radiation. And even two months after chemo, I went back to the oncology building for my first round of hormone therapy. And even just the scent of the elevators yeah. in the basement, I was just overwhelmed. And it was also the first time I was going, my husband, thankfully, like was able to come with me to all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was the first time I was going to that building by myself. Because wow. I was like, uh, I'm a strong woman now. Yeah. I'm healthy. I yeah. can do this. I have autonomy over my body. Here we go. <laughs> and then I got there and I was like, oh my God, this is like, holy shit. So, so much shit happens here all the time. Yes. <laughs> it was so crazy. Yeah. And uh, like walking up there, it was just like a a very um, overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just, uh, I have so much gratitude and appreciation for nurses, in, especially yes. in that building for the amount of just the amount of emotions that are existing at any one part mm-hmm. of the day on that floor between all the different patients. It just blows my mind. Yeah. It's wild. But yeah, I'm see like I'm still very sensitive to programming that in any way like um, hurts someone's body. Like it, if someone's I was watching that um, documentary uh, Mother Love or whatever that cult yeah. documentary. Mm-hmm. And she's essentially no. Uh, this is not really a spoiler. Um, 
drinking way too much and yeah. like her body is slowly like dying because yeah. of it and i just cannot finish it i can't finish the document wow. i can't watch her body like go through so that kind of stuff mm. i'm still like sensitive to yeah um but yeah learning the triggers what it's, fun i know it is not i mean and and just like i'm i'm the same way too with anything like human suffering stories mm-hmm. it becomes yeah. very very difficult for me to watch and it's just sort yeah. of it's interesting how, you know, the things that became that were sort of second nature for us, you know, you go through your life, you live your life, you get encountered with you see crazy things on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Yeah. And like you move on. But now I find there are moments where I stop and I'm sort of like, why is this happening? Like, why is this, you know, why is this happening to this person or whatever? And you yeah. become almost intentionally empathetic, but not not in like a Mother Teresa way. It's not like I'm going out of my way to drive <laughs> yeah. to some save someone. You know what I mean? I'm not doing that yeah. shit. But I yeah. become oddly emotional in a way that I'm just sort of like, I don't want others to suffer in this way. Yes, you know? exactly that. Exa- yeah. I am oddly emotional about, yes, hu- suffering. And I'm oddly emotional about triumph. Yes. People that are succeeding in some beautiful way. Like mm-hmm. I've been watching a lot of Love on the Spectrum oh. and Down for Love, yeah. the show about uh, people with Down syndrome dating. It's mm-hmm. like my go-to comfort watch now because yeah. it's just like perfectly pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just, but it overwhelms me. Like I'm exhausted at yeah. the end of watching it because it's just so pure and I have such like love for these yeah. people and their experience. Yes. Well, there's also another thing too that I wanted to know that I had during the whole experience where, I, you know, I, I'm so shocked that you turned to Google to even understand the words when you first got your diagnosis, because I learned yeah. early on that any pamphlet, any Googling, anything would cause me to have, cause I'm such like a, you know, I'm a writer. So there's a logical sense to sort of like you write, you research the thing, then you write yeah. the thing, and then the thing is done, and it is how you researched it, and everything has a line that makes sense. Whereas with cancer and chemo, I would research, what can I expect from this? And then yeah. I would expect to expect that thing, and then it never would happen, because Google yep. told me one thing, and then the other thing happened. And yep. it would, again, this is the anxiety, and this is why you need to go through therapy, but <laughs> this it would infuriate me and then send me into a crash of depression because yeah. nothing would ever work out the way Google told me it was supposed to work out. Did you yeah. have that? Yeah, I adopted a, a mantra, for lack of a better word, uh, that I cannot expect what I expect. Mm. I didn't want to say like, I need to expect the unexpected because I didn't want to like invite in yeah. shit. More <laughs> shit. shit, yes. Yeah. Uh, but I, um, yeah, I, I'm a little different in that I, the most research I did, I think was literally copy paste. Does this mean I have cancer? <laughs> After that, I did not go down the wormhole. I joined this Facebook group uh, for triple positive breast cancer um, and it was recommended to me and I, I like joined it. You have to be accepted into the group and mm-hmm. thousands of people in there. And I looked at it, I think like a few days before my first chemo uh, session. And I just was like, I started crying. I was overwhelmed because it was too yeah. much. It was it, a, an amazing resource for people that need support or answers mm-hmm. or um, that just have questions that their doctors aren't either getting back to them or just want other people's experience based on, you know, just different perspectives. So an amazing resource and and so many women like rushing to the aid of other people that needed answers or um, just experience. And 
it overwhelmed me. It was too much information about too many possible things that could maybe happen at some point during yeah. the treatment yeah. that I really had to kind of live in like not blissful ignorance, like anxiety ignorance, yeah. basically. Yeah. I'm just being yeah. like, I'm going to handle what's directly in front of me mm-hmm. and uh, try my best to be open to the fact that like anything can happen at yeah. any time. But yeah, there was a lot of anxiety. I mean, I thank God I live in California because weed was a major yes. help for me in this situation. Same, very much the same. Yeah. yeah, even the first meeting I had with my oncologist, I was like, what are your thoughts on marijuana? And he was like, I encourage uh, it for a lot of my patients, one, to maintain their appetites during uh, their treatment, uh, especially because the treatment I was undergoing, it was very difficult to eat at times. Mm. And two, just for um, the anxiety yes. and the emotional turmoil that it stirs up. And so that was... Really, really helpful Cannabis for me. Cannabis was huge for me during, uh, for the anxiety really, yeah. and for sleeping too because I had such yes. horrible insomnia. Like yeah. Like the worst yeah. insomnia. And it really helped me. And it was, it was, and I was, I never really was a cannabis person before that, but during it, it really did help. Yeah, it was really, I, I was happy to have it. And like even just the idea of having it was mm-hmm. sometimes enough too without even using it. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't try to look up too much stuff during nice. the process um, that I didn't have to. Because I, yeah, I kind of, have, you know, being a content creator on the internet for so many years. You've like, learned. I've learned <laughs> yeah. that there's like, um, you don't it's okay. Yeah, it's okay not to know everything <laughs> yeah, all the time. Yes, totally. <laughs> well, that's the other thing too, speaking of that, that I was public during my chemo and, and the decision to go public when you do create in a public sense when you do your work Mm -hmm. is also very public it creates a line of communication that then changes how people react to you and I remember when Mm -hmm. I I would I would start performing after chemo and I would I was feeling prepared to start doing stand-up and performing again and people would come up to me and they would tell me and they just be start telling me their cancer stories and it just became Mm -hmm. again a trigger for me because it just became this weight of like Every single night I was reliving this thing that was becoming a yeah. trigger. And I, of course, therapy helped. But <laughs> I, I, it, did, I wanted to know how your decision to go public, because you're on a much yeah. bigger stage than even I was. And so you then, it's a, it's a bigger deal when you become public with your audience. How, what, what led to that decision? How did you get to that place? And what has it been like since? Yeah, it was, it was very strange and one of those things where I really just went with my gut I was really oddly blessed to have a friend Hank Green Mm. in the creator space that in a bizarre twist of events got diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma two months before my diagnosis and had gone public with it and had made a video announcing it had made like follow-up videos about um, his treatment. He's a science communicator primarily. So obviously his videos took yeah. a very, you know, yeah. specific approach yeah. to it. Um, but he's been a friend for years. And, you know, I was texting him like, I'm so sorry you're going through this. It's so inspiring, you know, the way you're handling yourself and, and putting yourself out there while I'm in the background waiting for biopsy results that I've mm-hmm. told zero people about, including my own parents, because... I just didn't, I wasn't ready to be confronted with the possibility that yeah. uh, it could be me. 
But the bizarre timing of seeing him put himself out there and then I got my diagnosis and it was basically, I have two options. At least that's what I thought. I can hide this and, you know, say I'm taking a break in some capacity. I don't have to say anything if I don't want to. Yeah. Um, or I can just put this out there. And I just had this immediate gut feeling of like, I got to tell people about this. Like I'm watching Hank go through it and it's so noble what he's doing and he's helping so many people just by being honest with what's happening with him. And so I, I decided to put it out there and I was terrified of putting it out there yeah. um, because I've always been, for the most part, my content has always been like comedy first yeah. and then like personal life or whatever sneaks in sne yeah sneaks but, in here and there but yeah. it's never like here's everything that's going on in my life mm -hmm. and i've always been a very private person at the same time which is this odd juxtaposition in my personality of like wanting to perform and be seen and then also not wanting to be looked at in any way by same. anyone totally related yeah yes yeah. yes a very libra and so i watched him do this and then i i posted a video i went through like two different versions of it um because the first one was a little too jokey says my husband <laughs> so, and he was right um i, I kind of want to see that version to be honest <laughs> trying to mask it with humor to immediately is a little um uh interesting a little tough to watch but the response was so so overwhelming um after putting content online for 15 years at that point. I had never had a response to something I put out there like I did for that. Mm -hmm. And it really ignited this kind of like purpose in me that was very dormant for a few years. I got very burnt out on making content and had spent at least yes. the last three or four years kind of floundering a little bit like I went to grad school and got a, a graduate degree yeah. <laughs> to try and do something different and like engage my brain and my creativity in a different way mm -hmm. and see what that would do and um, this really just lit me up in a way that felt very meaningful and also helped me me process mm -hmm. what I was going through in a way of like by sharing it with other people helped me figure out like what I was feeling and what was going on and made it very like real for yeah. me instead of trying to like escape the reality of it, which I might have done had I been more like closed off about mm -hmm. all of it. Um, and it felt very much like the the feelings I had of watching Hank go through what he was doing and put himself out there and how helpful it was to see that um, was what really like drove me if I can provide that to one person out there that's yeah. like scared going through this that makes it worthwhile and it was oddly so much easier to make content about yeah. this because I was just being honest mm -hmm. versus like trying to come up with some comical way to put a lens on something like it was just and I talked to my therapist about this like the whole time I was like this feels like the most freeing I've felt making content because I'm just telling people the truth yep and I think before I was really hiding behind a lot of like shtick the niceties so, trying to yeah. please people yeah yeah it, yeah it was like it's too real to lie about it yep. <laughs> so yep. Yep. it's like the most serious thing and also being able to like s still make jokes throughout it like mm -hmm. helped me process and helped me be able to connect with people the amount of 
the overwhelming amount, yourself included, of people that wanted to help as soon as I said, this is what I'm going through. Yeah. Just obviously you feel that like, well, I have to give back in some way as soon yeah. as I can. Yeah. And so it felt like the least I can do is show people what's going on. Yeah. I mean, there is something... And it's so interesting you said that. It kind of made me emotional because there is, I remember during, after everything for me, I kind of viewed it as like my second coming out in a way. Really? Yeah. In that like, I knew, there was a woman during chemo, this is a roundabout way of me getting to this, but there was a woman that would sometimes sit next to me at chemo and she, she, she just killed me, but she, she was going to chemo because she knew her end was near, but she was trying to stay well enough so that she could see her daughter graduate. Wow. And, she was. She said, I just have to be in service to this girl before she graduates. That's all I have to do. That's all I have to get to. And that was her goal. And yeah. that, and it, it just, it, it hit me that, of course, that's a parent wanting to do that for a child. But I just thought, you have to be in service to others. Like, there's something yeah. that, you know, it's not just me. And this isn't just all about me, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And I am put here to do the things that I do because I can't keep a job in any other way other than talking. And so, like... <laughs> I know that that's what I have to do is talk and be me yeah. and be my real self. And it led mm -hmm. to me converting to Judaism and it led me to wow. finding sort of like a spiritual path and finding a path for my voice and not having to rely just on doing stand up and dying to get into a room on a TV show or whatever. Like, yeah. I don't have to do all of the things that I thought I had to do because the world was telling me I had to do them. Yeah. I can just do what I need to do. And it was from that sitting next to that woman in chemo that I was just sort of like, if that's what she's living for, I need to be living for a lot more too. I need to be yeah. doing the things. And I always think about her. She's sort of like a little angel in a way. And I don't think, I don't believe in the angels and all that, but like <laughs> she is kind of like a yeah. little angel in a way, sort of like yeah. she's my Della Reese sitting on my shoulder. You know what I mean? Like she's, <laughs> yeah. she's that. And, and it really, you really do find a sense of purpose to give back in the ways that you can give back. And I feel like yeah. you're, you're doing that in lots of different, I just recently saw you post something about, uh, way, the ways that people can donate or give things with yeah, yeah. There, I made a joke in a video about why aren't there cancer registries and then yeah. this woman got in touch with me she was like hello I have a cancer registry and I'm trying to get the word out and That's it's called so we got this for anyone interested we got this dot org uh, and it's a, a gift registry specifically for cancer patients and she herself uh, has stage four metastatic breast cancer mm. and is still in treatment and it's just an incredibly motivated like force that just felt so immediately aligned to be like the least I can do is try to tell as many people about this thing that is incredibly helpful. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, you just feel like I, I want to help so many people out of nowhere across all different, like, I feel like I've lived a bunch of different lives coming to my now like 38th year on earth and so all these people across all these different like timelines of like my history were like showing up with like information and stories and experience and resources and it was just like unbelievable that of yeah. course you're like well how do I pay this forward like mm -hmm. this is so kind and generous definitely it's wild and it's it's uh, one of the things and this is I mean before I wrap things up I do I need to talk to you about yeah. chemo in Beverly Hills and it is <laughs> It is an experience that I've talked to a lot of people who've been through chemo and they did not have the experience that we did going to literally where I get Botox now sometimes is near the chemo center. And I will go out of my way to not drive by. the. I mean, I've just recently yeah. these, past, these past few years and I credit my boyfriend for giving me sort of a piece in my life that I can drive past this chemo center and not have a trigger and not have 
not have a mental breakdown every time I pass it. But down the street from that is where I've gotten Botox before. And I think like, this is such a weird world. This is such a, I I love that. I love LA for that reason. So I want to know what, anything interesting. I'll tell you some of the celebrities that, because they've passed so I can talk about it. But like, what, (laughs) what, what, did you experience anything unique at your chemo center? I was, I was, first I was blown away that this building that I've driven past a billion times since I've lived here for 10 years, I never looked up to the second floor and saw that, yes. oh my God, there's an entire floor of just life-saving resources happening Crazy. currently. That's wild. Crazy. Absolutely wild. Well, I went to, um, before I got my lumpectomy, I consulted a plastic surgeon um, in Beverly Hills. And the whole time I was just like, I never thought that I'd be going to Beverly Hills to see a plastic surgeon about my breasts. But <laughs> here we are in the year 2023 yeah. after I've purposefully like hidden my breasts from the internet for a, uh, since I've been on it. And this is what we're doing this year. Okay, great. Yeah. My experience in the oncology building, I did cold capping to try and yeah. preserve my hair just to see if it would work. I had a friend that had really great experience with it. Um, so I was trying it and I did it for all six sessions that I was there, but it's literally like wearing a, at least the service I use, um, Penguin Cold Caps, or Digni Caps rather, Penguin is the other brand you can look at. Um, The service I use is basically you're hooked up to like a mobile air conditioning unit. Mm. So you just have cold air being fed into your head the entire time. Sounds great, actually. I couldn't hear anything at all. And so when I went back this past um, couple weeks ago to do my hormone therapy, which does not need cold capping, I was blown away by how quiet the floor was. I could hear everyone talking yeah. about everything. And I texted my husband just being like, holy shit, it is so quiet in here. Was I the loudest person here? He's like, yeah, every single time you were the loudest person. Because I'd be like, hi, how are you today? Like to the beautiful <laughs> Crazy volunteers. girl with the big hat on. I was screaming the entire time and I had no uh, awareness of it. For because I was in the cold capping kind of situation, it made it a little harder to um, be mobile or like Mm. look around at things. So my husband has a very different experience of the chemo sessions infusions than I do. Mine was very much like I'm putting this uncomfortable thing on for six hours and I'm putting my head down and I'm like getting through it. So I didn't observe too much. So I didn't get to see a ton, but I just loved the nurses were all like gossipy with each other the whole time. And I couldn't ever hear exactly what they were saying, but I could tell that they were having the best time ever. And it was, that was so sweet to me. The nurses are in, I mean, I will say, because I was very angry for that period of the year that I was at that, that, Mm -hmm. that building. So there was one nurse that I hated, hated. (laughs) And there was, but it's so funny that like, cause she would sometimes talk to me and tell me crazy stories. And, and she knew that I was angry. So she was like, well, if you don't have anything nice to say, sit by me. And so she was like, well, gossip and stuff. And I was like, no, you're part of the problem. Um, but, <laughs> but there was this one nurse who I love so much that we never communicated. We never communicated. She's my favorite yeah. nurse because she recognized, I think, I, at least maybe this is what I'm telling myself in my head. She recognized how angry I was to be there, how much I did not want to be there. That yeah. she was the nurse that would greet me when I walked in, checked in. And you know how they take you to your chair and they ask you if you want a warm blanket or anything. And the yeah. nurse that basically gets you set up for to get injected or whatever you're doing. Yeah. And she would come and she would put the warm blanket on me and then she would just leave. 
She wouldn't say goodbye. She would never say hello to me. And that woman is my favorite nurse I've ever had in my life. She was so, she met me exactly where I was at because I was uh, just such a little bitch. I was just like the worst little bitch ever. <laughs> I bet. I mean, you were well within your right to be. Yeah, too. I guess so. I guess so. But the other one I had, and this is, I love telling this story about that, uh, the center that we both went to. Um, yeah. That is, what's so interesting about it is, there was one celebrity, and I say that I can talk about her because she has passed, but she was an incredible woman, Penny Marshall. And mm. she, and, and it's public knowledge, you know, of her, her, you know, cancer and everything. And, but whenever she would come to get chemo, when I was getting chemo, she, everyone would be whispering, Penny's here, Penny's here. But Penny, like when you're, when you're super famous, when you're super famous, you get a private room for chemo at that center. And she got that private room. No one ever saw the penny. We just heard wow. the the whispering of pennies here. Like it was wow. just always a thing, which is so LA too, that like yeah. even at a chemo center where it should be private and discreet, yeah. it's, everyone's gossiping at the Beverly Hills <laughs> <laughs> chemo center. Well, that's, I, I, the only person we ever saw was going in, out of my surgical doctor's office mm. again, right by Cedars right in Beverly Hills there. Um, we were getting off the elevator and I was very tired in the middle of my, like we, I think we had just seen, yes, we had just seen the plastic surgeon and the plastic surgeon, it took like an hour, like we were waiting for a really long time and I was having like bad side effects of being like, yeah. I'm breaking out in hives, like I'm sweating, like I feel very nauseous, like we got to get this consultation going or I need to reschedule because I need to leave like now this overhead yeah. lighting like my eyes are crazy so we got it done like he came in we did our consultation and then we're leaving and I'm just like finally trying to catch my breath and we the door of the elevator opens and dog the bounty hunter gets on the <laughs> elevator and he was such a small man oh interesting that I, yeah like I'm 5'9 he was probably my height or wow. shorter and I was sort of like you know eyes just soft focus of like yeah. just get me to the car and just saw a blonde ponytail like go past me and my husband and i look at each other we're like was that dr bounty hunter <laughs> okay. that's incredible i mean what a sight to see and i was like wow stars are just like us they are uh, just like us wow yeah. that isn't well there's other things too about that chemo center that i, I well so we have a, a another mutual friend that he's not famous or anything brian brian wilson he was in yes. the, he was in the class with us that way back in the day and he mm -hmm. was the friend that would often pick me up or come to the chemo center with me or he was always the one that was That's here so nice but we have another friend in common that i remember the one of the most memorable days at, at that chemo center she michelle buteau are you friends yeah. with michelle buteau yes. yeah yeah and and michelle came she was living it was that year that she lived in LA and then hated it so much that she had to leave and yeah. her and her husband and they she had this car this SUV something I don't know and some small dog that she had just found somehow I don't they're like some weird story and she was late to picking me up and I had just I was so I was at like the height of chemo so the hair was gone I was yeah. skinny sick like everything was happening and she just like drove up the loudest car ever <laughs> like rushed me in as if we were going to go rob something and then I remember us going to eat, but I couldn't eat anything and just her talking. And it was just such a lovely experience that like I it's and that's my chemo is I'm remembering her that one yeah. day, that one day. So I want to know, like, if you have a day because, I mean, you also have a podcast with your for our good friend, Mamrie. Yeah, Mamrie. And yeah. Do you have any sort of like weird, funny moments with friends or at chemo that like just sort of you look back on and you're like, well, that's a that's a fun moment. That's a that's a that's a good memory. Well, so 
they're all they've all become more fun you yes. know yes. time heals all wounds in some ways yeah. um so i i had a bacterial infection infection in between uh two of my infusions and had to go to the hospital um because i was like in and out of consciousness and i didn't know what was going on that was the one of the trickier parts was trying to figure out um the level of intensity to which your side effects are happening. Yes. When you don't have someone directly next to you to like compare it to. Yeah. Uh, so I was like white knuckling being like, these are just side effects. These are just side effects. And then a nurse came to our house to do um, just a, a, an IV bag to see if my dehydration played a factor in it. And she was like, I can't like of good conscience, let you stay here and leave because mm. your like vitals are still out of control. And like, your blood pressure, by all intents and purposes, like you should be unconscious right now. My God. And so my husband was like, okay, we're going to go to the emergency room. And we go and I like, there are, I don't remember a lot of it because I was just like in and out of it. I'm just like, I don't want to take my blanket in the middle of the day and go to a hospital. Yeah. Like I just want to sit on the couch. Yeah. And so we, we get there and I go to the emergency room and they're like rushing me full of all these different, like I am depleted in every single category of nutrients and hours go by of them like filling me with ivs and then i have to stay the night because they're running all these tests they want to see if i have c diff which is what i eventually got diagnosed with this bacterial infection but um all day in the hospital and then it's like nine o'clock at night we're in a room for the night and the nurses have been coming in and then they're like, okay, we need to go down and do a CT scan. This is of your stomach to make sure it's not an appendix thing. Like this is the last thing we need to do. It's like 930. Um, and then you can go to sleep. And I was like, okay, great. And then the, this guy comes in uh, who's a transporter yeah. and he's waiting. And I was like, oh, I think she, I have like 10 more minutes of this bag that needs to finish running into my IV and then um, she can unhook me and then I can go with you. And he's like, okay. So he just sits in our room with us. And I was like, okay. I'm exhausted. Like, I am a zombie. Yeah. And then he, he goes, I know who you are. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, the most haggard Crip Keeper version of myself. He goes, you used to, used to make videos with that guy that ate chicken, chicken wings on the internet. I was like, what? Oh, I have a friend, Tyler Oakley, who, yeah, at some point... Ate chicken nuggets like in a video. One day, like, yeah, one video. That's it. <laughs> yeah, he's like, that's it. And you used to do some cooking and you had a friend. I was like, yeah, Mamrie and Hannah and all this. He's like, yeah, I used to watch your videos all the time in high school. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. We still have like 15 minutes of like waiting and making small talk <laughs> in this room. And he was awesome it was so sweet by the end of it but he started telling us about how he got fired at his other job for (laughs) drinking on the job it was his first job ever and that he's like man they should have given you a better room if they knew who you were i was like it's okay man it's okay (laughs) and then he starts wheeling me down to the ct scan room and he's giving me he's like that's the morgue that's the cafeteria i was like oh okay he's like yeah and then i get a ct scan he brings me out of the ct scan he's like you know what's crazy? The craziest thing that happened in that room is a guy died in there. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I had to move the body to the morgue and like his head touched my leg. And I was like, what? I was like, you are really a no filter human being. And you like, it does not phase you that I'm like on my deathbed right now that you were just going for it. And I kind of appreciate that. Honestly, it took me out of all of like the pain that I was feeling. And I was like, 
I'm going to say yes to the experience of this man. And this is fantastic <laughs> and so sweet. And then I made a video like telling the story of having to go to the hospital. And he commented on the video <laughs> being like, I was, that was me. I was the transporter. And I was like, that's so great. How sweet. <laughs> and it was just one of those like, wow. it was truly what my husband might consider like the worst day yeah. <laughs> of like our adult lives, especially yeah. as a couple. But the moments like that, that were so ridiculous and absurd within the chaos mm-hmm. were just like stuff that we held on to. And yeah. like we joked about that for like the rest of the night. And it just made that experience so much more palatable mm-hmm. and so much more like, oh, this is just so sometimes it's so absurd and so ridiculous yes. that it's funny. And then it makes it a little bit easier yeah. to handle. Definitely. I I can't even tell you. So, I mean, one of the things that when I first texted you, I mean, we had been texting over the course of since you announced yeah. it and everything. But I, I, I wasn't ready to talk about, I think I talked too soon about a lot of my experience and I wasn't ready. And so I was, I was nervous to text you because I didn't want you again. I had to, I think in my text, I was like, you can say no. You can I say know. no. It's it okay. So you can say no. Because I wanted to create that space for you to be like, I'm not ready. And not feel yeah. the the Hollywood pressure of like saying yes to tell your story too soon. And I'm just so glad that you wanted to chat with me about this. Because I felt like in some way, I kind of needed it too. Because you are such a touchstone for me in terms of my comedy. And like we started together. And there's so yeah. much of that that like... There is that element of I didn't want to see you going through this and I hated that you had to. And yeah. I'm so well, glad that we could talk. Absolutely. I mean, and in a reverse way, like you just reaching out and the reminder that like you are where you're at in your life and you are successful and you're thriving and you're healthy. That like for me going through it was just like, oh, OK, that's like just oh. a relief to know that like this person that is in your life in this like crazy circumstance has also gone through this and like is okay now. And I think that you try to gather all this data while you're doing it to like, to give yourself hope or to give yourself like some sort of vision of what could be. And you were one of those people that I was like so happy to hear from and to be like, great, there is another side to this. Because you know, when you're in it, it feels like this is it forever. This is my life now. Everything is terrible. And wow, well, that was a good run. Cool. (laughs) And (laughs) so to have people that were like, I've been through it and I'm on the other side was just like, okay. Because that's like, there's going to be ongoing processing. Like I, I, think it's very it's helpful for me to be as jovial as I can about it but the reality is like there's also behind the scenes a lot of stress and sadness and anxiety and a lot of relearning like my life is different now and my world is going to be different it's not like going back to something that got paused it's like there's a different experience yep yeah and to be able to see other people having gone through that was just so helpful without you consciously saying literally I've been through it and I'm on the other side, but you just existing was helpful and inspiring in its own way. Oh, well, I'm, I'm so glad we got to chat and yeah, I, I want to know what, same. like, I mean, what can people, what are you working on now? Where can people follow you? Where can people see what you're doing? What's important to you to tell people? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Mamrie and I are podcasting. This might get weird. Is our podcast every Wednesday, and we've started talking about reality television. Ooh. Uh, yeah, just finished watching this week's Vanderpump Rules. Um, <laughs> we so on Fridays we release episodes called "This Might Get Real," and I'm currently working on a book, and and eventually going to start working on live comedy about this experience probably yeah. but um gonna let myself i still have radiation to get through so yeah. i gotta also just be patient and sit in the process for you a got little time bit. you got so yeah. much time yeah exactly. I'm, I'm so glad you have all that time so thank you yeah. so much for doing this i really thank appreciate you. it of course anytime let me know what you thought of today's episode i'm h allen scott on everything and leave a little rating and review wherever you're listening to this episode it really does help me out and i'd especially like to know today what your thoughts are and Maybe if you want to share your stories as well. For the latest news and podcasts, head to Newsweek.com and follow Newsweek on all the social platforms. And while you're at Newsweek.com, subscribe to my newsletter for the culture. It's fun. It comes out a bunch of times during the week. You get all the news you need. It's wonderful. Until then, watch something fun and have a great day. Watch Terms of Endearment. <laughs> 